0: Here at Gays Talking Straight, we care about your health and well-being. We are not medical experts or healthcare professionals. Nothing we say should be construed as medical advice. If you have questions or concerns about your health or well-being, please contact your healthcare provider. Welcome to Gaze Talking Straight. I'm your host, Richard Lamberty. I'm here with Gregory Heifel. Pleasure to have you. Pleasure to be here. So you've been watching our videos and we have been chatting back and forth and it's really been fun to reconnect with you Absolutely, so I think it was June of 2009 when we first met Yes, and that was at the center and we had the opportunity to get to know each other a little bit back then Yes, and so you know that gave me a little bit of a window into your life And that was right at the time that I had moved in with my mother and started to become her caregiver, which was a role that you were already serving for your father. Yes. And I remember having some conversations with you about, you know, what that experience was like. And calling you on the phone a couple of times in, you know, <laughs> the, the crazy panic moments of. But I want to go back in time with you. And talk about how caregiving has manifested in your life multiple times and what that's been like for you as a kind of a life journey it's
1: been interesting (laughs) to say the very least Uh, in 1985 when they came out with the test for HIV which back then was HTLV 3 Uh, My partner had been getting weird symptoms, and the doctor suggested a test to see if he was positive. He was. Mm -hmm. So not surprisingly, he wanted to test me, and I was also positive. Mm
0: -hmm. So mid-80s? Yes.
1: Yeah. It was terminal. Oh, that was a death sentence.
0: There was no treatment. There was Nothing. not a lot of understanding. In fact,
1: uh, my partner, Dennis, was in the case study for
0: ACT. Oh, wow. Uh, Which was the first drug. The that first they put drug. Out, and the doses were high. Oh, my gosh. And
1: toxic to yes. the body.
0: Yes. But they were transforming the lives of HIV positive people that were so seriously ill just causing all these other problems yes and for some people like the cure was worse than the illness
1: yes in fact they had to take him off of it before the the trial was over Mm -hmm. because uh he'd gone severely anemic and needed blood transfusions and they said "Uh, well we we can't do this for you uh which also for me said you don't ever want to take this it's poison (laughs) So, uh, you know, I had that in my mind. The thing that uh, I remember the most is I had a high T-cell count.
0: Okay. So T-cells are part of the immune system. Yes. And one of the things that happens with HIV is it actually attacks the immune system and uses the the immune system to attack the body. Yes. So, and so one of the markers for illness is the reduction of T cells. Exactly. And the, one of the, the, cause AIDS is a syndrome. HIV yes. is the infection. AIDS is a, a, a syndrome acquired uh, immune, immune deficiency, deficiency syndrome. syndrome. And the way that they looked at it was if your T cells felt below 200, yes. you had AIDS, as opposed to HIV infection. Yes. And it was considered a permanent diagnosis of disability. Yes. Yeah.
1: Dennis's T cells were very, very low. I don't remember the exact number.
0: I I remember people, you know, watching the numbers go down and, and getting, you know, below 200, below 150, below 100, below 70, below 50, below 20. And no detectable T-cells, and yes. and the body's being ravaged by the autoimmune, or the, the opportunistic illnesses. Well, it didn't
1: take very long after the test, before Dennis was in the hospital with uh, PCP pneumonia, which is an opportunistic infection, and that gave him an AIDS diagnosis. Yes. And immediately, he was on disability. That was it. And how old was he? At that time, he was, I'm going to say 35.
0: And how old were you? Uh, Two years younger. Okay. So I was about 33. 33, the age they killed Christ. Yes. (laughs) So you you did a little better.
1: I... uh... (laughs) I had some guilt feelings Mm -hmm. because when we reached out for a support group and help, when people found out my T cell count was 1350, I got teased about getting mugged in the parking lot for my T cells.
0: That's a high number. I mean, even even for an ordinary test person, that's just a high number.
1: Exactly.
0: Yeah.
1: And in fact, I did not require medication for nine years. Wow.
0: So you were long-term non-progressive. Yes. They had a phrase for people like you.
1: (laughs) Well, the way I look at it is I inherited my father's immune system, which was very strong. Mm -hmm. Uh, But still, this sounds outrageous, but even in that period of time, I
0: had, like, survivor's guilt. I understand that. Uh, it, I knew so many people that felt guilty that everyone they knew was dying, yes. and they weren't. And, and, you know, often these were guys that were, you know, just as much in the clubs, just as much in the bathhouses, but for some reason they had been left untouched and it was devastating to a lot of people to watch everyone they knew and loved die in slow motion. And uh, yeah, so there was, that was a, you know, a common experience. Oh yes.
1: Uh, as Dennis's disease progressed, I was put into the role of caregiver. I had to take care of him.
0: Where were you living then? Kansas City, Missouri. Wow. So, not exactly a liberal...
1: <laughs> it I, is, I'm, really. It's Dad like a liberal a island in a
0: conservative state. Wow. Okay. Learn something new.
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, very supportive. Interesting. Of both the gay community and the HIV community.
0: Uh
1: i was very proud of the way the community came together and embraced us and and made a decision we're not going to do the horrible things we've heard that are done on the coasts mm. you know the the isolating the the, the AIDS patient.
0: And the head-to-toe suits and, that, and the doctors refusing to come in the room. And
1: leaving their dinner tray on the floor at their door like they could get up and get it. Mm-hmm. I mean, just horrible stories. Uh, mortuaries.
0: Refusing bodies.
1: Refusing bodies. Uh, my best friend in California at the time would actually do makeup. For people that had passed from HIV AIDS
0: because the, because
1: the the mortuary did not want to touch them. They'd throw them in the casket and it's
0: whatever you can do to make them look decent. See, so this was the mid eighties. I was still in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Ah. And um, that was my first case that I knew of was a very good friend of my boyfriend there and small town. Uh, you know an infection rapid death and the the parents were amazing they just they wanted everybody to know what had happened and they wanted uh people to get tested anybody that might have been with him in some way it was again that the compassion yes that wasn't evident in some of the places yes so you had dennis and you were taking care of him
1: yes And while I was taking care of him, and as I watched his disease progress, he me in just a few short years. um, I I was kind of terrified, and kind of not, if that makes any sense. I was too preoccupied with the tasks at hand to dwell on my own problems and fears and
0: anxieties but you were still working
1: yes i was working
0: full-time yes but a you know caregiver in that role itself could be a full-time job absolutely especially when someone is that weak yes and and not much that you can really do towards uh
1: the final stages i rented a hospital bed and did some rearranging in the dining room to put a hospital bed in and still have eye shot to the television, because that was the only thing he had left was Mm -hmm. television. Uh, That was a great help, and it also uh, relieved my worry of, you know, major falls, you know, two-story house, oh, my God, what if he falls down the stairs, things like that. Mm And uh, very lucky, he uh, belonged to a Catholic church. And there was a lady there who was fantastic. She did Her sons retired her to do the volunteer work for the church that she
0: had been doing. So mm-hmm. she could do that full time. So when we were talking earlier, you said something to me. About your experience at that time, because that was also a period in your life where you were coming to terms with who you were, what was going on oh, for yes. you, and yes. you had told me about a friend that had come over, and yes. then you went outside and were talking for you know ten minutes or so, and you had this thought.
1: That was a turning point in my life. I had struggled accepting myself due to society. Due to religion, Uh, I was just an unacceptable human being as a gay man. Mm -hmm. I did not express homophobia outwardly, and for that I'm grateful. But I did cram a lot internally.
0: A lot of us do. Yes,
1: we do. And there was an evening where a good friend of ours came over to visit and after the visit i walked him out to his car which was parked on the street and he and i you know continued to have a conversation about you know how i was handling everything and you know do you need more help things like that and uh after we finished chatting uh we hugged he got in his car and left And I stood there and I looked at the house and Dennis was inside the house, of course, and the thought entered my head, sweetie, you ain't going to get any gayer than having a partner dying from AIDS. And the turning point was I made a conscious decision to reject what had been placed on me in my youth. I was still young then, but in my 20s and teens and all that, I was going to reject that. And I was going to stand up and say, hey, I'm a gay man. If you don't like it, that's your problem, not mine.
0: But in that moment, you found self-acceptance. Yes, absolutely. And how do you get acceptance from the world if you can't accept yourself? First? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, I think that alone is this incredibly powerful message that still needs to be echoed today, said Absolutely. over and over again. Learn to love who you are. Absolutely. And then go to the world with that love.
1: Absolutely. That that needs to be a big point in gay subculture especially with youth things are so much better now than they used to be but there's still problems there are still the anti-gay bigots out there and they
0: spew their poison well i think there's still plenty of self-destructive behavior yes self-hating the internalized homophobia even if people are appearing more accepting of themselves and, and the world is more accepting of them, that that internalized uh, homophobia, that, that self-loathing, it's still there. And how, you know, helping, helping young people now Love yourself for who you are. We're going to love you, too. Yes. Thank you. Special thanks to our guest, Gregory Heifel. You can find our videos at www.youtube.com slash Talking Straight. That's STR number 8. Gays Talking Straight is recorded at Timaqua in Orlando, Florida. www.timacua.com Timaqua, where they've been making art since 2000. Our executive producer is Judy Wallace, directed by Raphael Peñon. Video and audio by Benoit Glazer, who also wrote and performed our theme music. Video editing by Finn Starling. I'm your host, Richard Lamberti. Thank you for being a part of Gays Talking Straight.